Hello and welcome to the Shiloh podcast. Abuse in Religious Contexts is a major academic project. It's funded by the Arts and Humanities Research Council and it's examining the cultures and structures within a wide variety of faith communities which cause, facilitate, legitimate, justify and hide abuse. The various streams within the project will be reporting their findings over the second half of next year and there'll be a series of events to share them as well as open access publications. Many of those involved in the project would call themselves activist scholars because this is research that actively seeks to make a difference. In particular, it wants to amplify the voices of survivors of abuse. Academic research is one way of doing this, but as one of the contributors to this podcast says, some things are better expressed than explained. The Abuse in Religious Context Project is happy to be engaging with Nell Hardy, an actor and theatre director who's written a play which tackles issues around spiritual and other intersectional faith-based abuses. It's called I Lord, and it will be premiered later this year in London, and I'll be sharing more details of that at the end of this podcast. Next, you're going to hear from Nell about the play, but also about how she's going about creating a trauma-informed production with the help and input of fellow survivors. Over the summer, she's been holding a series of workshops with survivors to design the show so that it communicates their experience in a way that's as safe as possible for survivors to engage with. I went along to one of the workshops, and here's what I learned and experienced. Uh, Hello everyone, nice to see you again. Uh, So, uh, we'll start as we normally do. Um, For those who haven't been here before, I like to start by asking everyone where they're feeling rather than how they're feeling. So, um, I am like jumping just above the surface of my skin. Like there's a kind of warmth there that that is slightly trampoline-like and that's where I'm feeling today. Do you want to carry on? Yeah, sure. My name's Nell Hardy. I'm the founder of Responsibility Theatre. It's a company that seeks to represent and support people whose lives have been derailed by some kind of trauma and who either want to find safe spaces and creative spaces in which to make sense of that for themselves and in the company of other people who are kind of going on similar journeys or who are actually at a stage where they're thinking actually I want, I want the world to know what I experienced or I want the world to know about the, the systems that created this situation. I'm also a survivor of abuse in a church setting and that is what has sparked my next play which is called I Lord and explores experiences some of which are very akin to mine and some of which I have become aware of through the wider survivor sphere both within the church and within other faiths. So to start thinking of this as something other than what it is I've just got a silly little game for us uh, where we're just going to go around and uh, each person take it from the middle and say this isn't a cloth this is a really rough sea Uh, This isn't a cloth, this is a rather fetching toga. This isn't a cloth, this is really, really, really long strain of earwax. 
whatever it might be. <laughs> it, it, it's what came to my mind. It's, it's, take, take that. What, what, what's the purpose of the workshops that you're doing? So uh, we did some research and development about a year and a half on this show and the response was very, very good to the play, but there was a little bit of concern that it was going to be quite triggering for survivors. And that's, uh, for Responsibility Theatre, that's always a kind of balance that we have to find of something that, that tells the experience of trauma authentically enough, but also isn't so graphic or so, so close that it's something that trauma survivors can't watch alongside other people because that's, to me, the point. That's the, the communal experience of it, is that understanding. So I thought about the setting and about this kind of crucial spiritual space that has been, or sometimes is, tainted. And I thought, right, so what I need to do is I need to clothe the space in safety. Because I think that, actually, the more and more work I do with survivors, the more I'm aware of just how resilient we are. I mean, we can talk about the things that trigger us for hours and hours and hours on end. What tends to be the problem is seeing a certain shade of orange or seeing a certain shape or hearing a certain sound. It's those very, very immediate physical sensorial things that tend to be the problem rather than the issue that's being discussed itself. So by getting a group of survivors together and thinking about what our ideal safe spiritual spaces are, there's something joyful and reclaiming about that that I can then put into the production and turn it into a production that is about hope and about looking to the future and better things, uh, but still does honour to all of the, the difficult topics that need to be discussed in the meantime. My name's Jane. I'm here because um, I would have given anything to be involved in, in um, Nell's project because I believe it's such an important thing um, to be portrayed, to be raised as a topic for discussion, um, for people to really understand what it's like to be spiritually abused. My name is Bahja Mohammed. I'm taking a part of this uh, workshops as an artist and include myself as a survivor as well. It really means a lot to get involved in that, really. It means absolutely a lot and uh, it opens the eyes, I would say, to look at the things that we avoid sometimes. So you're contributing your artistic vision to the staging of the play? Yes. Are you expecting to see your ideas and your work on the stage? Absolutely. That will be... That will be the best thing if I see my art goes in the right place, you see. This is the right place. Tell me how you're staging this play. The audience is being treated as if they're coming to a church service. And so there'll be service sheets out. And during the play, there are hymns, there are responses, there are psalms, uh, that sort of thing. And the reason for that is that I really want the audience to know what it feels like to be in that kind of communal worship setting. So I think it's getting harder and harder for people to imagine that if they haven't been brought up with it. And it's really crucial to understanding the nature of, you know, how you feel that, that warmth and that elevation from being in a, a kind of ritual worship community and that, that safety with other people and how... And I want the audience to feel very viscerally then how difficult it is to feel that warmth and see 
things happening that shouldn't be happening at the same time and to feel that but but this is my space this is my safe space how can how can anything possibly be wrong within it what what's happening then within the service within the service the audience's mind is drifting away from what the priest is saying and doing so the priest is always there uh, for the vast majority of the time uh, but then the scenes happen and the actual story unfolds as if it's happening in a memory or a dissociative spell. So the audience gets a feeling of how a trauma survivor might experience the service of worship if their trauma happened from within, from within a service, from within a church setting. I have come to realise how much the doubting mind wanders during worship. I have heard our Lord cry in the stillness of my heart, aching for someone to return his people to him. I have heard hymns half-heartedly sung, and I have whispered. Is it I, Lord? Is it I, Lord? Is it I, Lord? Is it I, Lord? I, Lord, of course, comes from the, the hymn, uh, Here I am, Lord, is it I, Lord, I've heard you calling in the night. And that idea of a priest believing wholeheartedly that they speak from inspiration from God and being able to persuade somebody else that they're speaking with inspiration from God and in that way managing to exert that power that nobody else's voice matters because God has told me this is really key to understanding the nature of spiritual abuse. Can you define spiritual abuse for me? (laughs) Can anybody define spiritual abuse for you? Um, I'll give you what I understand to be the current accepted one. It's, It's kind of very in discussion at the moment. We're even in academic spheres, I think people are still kind of honing it. And then I'll give you the one that I uh, that I use. So spiritual abuse, I believe, is any kind of abuse in which the treatment exerted on somebody is justified by saying that it's God's will. Or it can also be forcing someone to worship in a certain way or it can be preventing someone from worshipping in a way that they want to that's my understanding of the official uh, the official description of spiritual abuse in my mind spiritual abuse is anything that forces someone to live by values that are not their own I asked for the Lord and you gave me a calling, a cry in the night that kept me from sleep. So I asked for a voice and you made me cry out to a stampeding crowd while I fell to my knees. Tell me, in a nutshell, tell me the story. So Evie's come back to the church where she grew up and where she was abused by the priest after five years. And nobody really knows where she's been or what's been happening. 
and she tells them what happened to her there and she tells them a bit about the processes that she's been going through within the church to try to report what happened and then those reports getting closed down or not passed on in the way that they should do uh, information being being hidden in various ways so it's a story not only about the fact that she discloses the abuse by the priest but also about what you might say was the abuse by the authorities when she tried to report it most certainly i think that that is possibly the most damaging thing on the on the wider scale in terms of her relationship with the church itself because the the priest figure who's always on stage is the constant figure in her mind certainly and and that's where her trauma is laid but ultimately it's the people who covered up that abuse that were the real dangers the first reading is taken from the Clergy Discipline Measure Code of Practice, Chapter 52. A complaint must normally be made within one year from the dates of the alleged misconduct. Glory to you, O Lord. The bishop says he has forgotten the details of his involvement in this case. I also note that the applicant has been receiving treatment for a serious medical condition. I asked for the Lord and you gave me a form. A form that I should have received years ago. You brought it to me in the hand of a woman who already knew what she needed to know. Ding, 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 ding. Fabulous. Nicely done. <laughs> all right, mess it all up again. This next one, I'm going to ask you to make... My name's Lisa Ogun. So we did um, an activity where we had to imagine our spiritual room or spiritual space and really visualise it in minute detail. And I created an om room, a zen room, in my brain and in my heart. Um, and then we had to imagine someone coming in, or someone or something or some something disrupting our... Um, and I was very surprised to know who, it was a who, um, disrupted my visual space and how I've had to reflect on that and, and how it has sat and how it has made me grow a little bit. Um, my name's Claire. A friend of mine on Twitter messaged me and said, you really need to do this. Um, and I said, oh yes, I really do. And then I almost didn't. Um, I talked my, almost talked myself out of it. I felt that there were people who'd had more extreme experiences than my own um, and was worried that I was taking away an opportunity for them to speak. Um, and my husband pointed out that what I was doing was actually what the church had done to me on many occasions. These are small things. These aren't huge things. These are insignificant and they downplayed my experience a number of times. Please stand if you are able. The response to the psalm is, but what did he actually do to you? But what, but what did he actually do to you? There was a definite sense that the concerns that I raised 
there were many times where I was told that I needed to have more grace and be more understanding and understand that, you know, God is a forgiving God, therefore I need to be a forgiving person. Um, and there was an expectation that to be a good Christian member of a church, I had to turn the other cheek. The stained glass window was a really interesting exercise. So Nell read a passage from her play about a priest who saw a stained glass window and saw his own reflection in it. I asked for God and I found a window stained with Christ's image. I stared until the sun went down. I asked a woman to light a candle so that I might still look at it. She did. She did. And when I looked and when back, I looked at, back the window, at the window, I saw, I saw my, my own, own reflection. reflection. I hardly recognised it. The weariness and pain that I was so used to hating disintegrated when overlaid on the face of the Lord. I was resplendent. I looked back at the woman and saw that I was resplendent in her eyes too. And I stood... I was raging. <laughs> I was absolutely raging. So my stained glass window was broken. All of the images had been taken out of it. It was just a mirror and it was reflecting that man's ego. And the inscription around the side was, I, me, I, me. Um, because that was very much a passage that was not about God or about faith. It was about one man deciding that he wanted to do something and he felt that he could give himself permission by saying that it was a spiritual vocation. Uh, I think today, listening to the extract that um, Nell read has, has been one of the most impactful experiences for me because it was very resonant of um, how I was abused um, and then having to grapple with that and not allow myself to be triggered back into re-experiencing the trauma and also thinking you know so how do I disrupt that has been something I'm just going to I'm going to be going away and processing that for a, a few days I think. What, what is it that you think you are creating together? I would say we are creating people's feelings in the same time, creating the way and uh, making people safe in a way they can see. Can, can you give me any indication of what you think will be on the stage in front of the audience when iLord is actually put on? Mm -hmm. What is going to be there? I would say it will be the word of everyone in a shape of uh, art. But whoever sees it will, will get it, like, will get, will get the word, will get what everyone means. So yes, it's gonna be a surprise as well, so. <laughs> yes, it's gonna be amazing. What's been really great is us coming together as a little sisterhood. It's a hug. I think this, these workshops have been the first time that I feel that I can, my voices can be heard in this particular um, aspect and issue of my life as, as a person. It's not something, it's kind of taboo. And um, I'm really grateful, is what I'm trying to say. It's re I'm really grateful that I'm able to, to come together with women that either are religious or non-religious and be able to express and talk about the aspects of um, spiritualism and the spiritual abuse. Is there anything else you want to tell me? 
just how important I think this is. I think spiritual abuse is something that is one of the last taboos. Uh, And also, as we have seen, the power of religious institutions is... um, well, it's it's you know you could say it's infinite, so difficult to to challenge, to redeem, to recover from. So I think anything that prompts conversations and understanding and learning about this subject is is hugely important. How long have you ever managed to stay away from a church? A month? A year? Even then, it's all you can talk about. Can you look at me and tell me you wish you weren't brought up in faith? No. Can you look at me and tell me the world isn't a better place for the work done by religious communities? No. Can you look at me and tell me that anything is more important than having somewhere you can stop and open your heart and pray? No. But all of that means nothing if those places aren't safe. Okay. Yes, thank you. Okay. So, so where is, where's, um, where's faith in your life now? Uh, somewhere. I couldn't tell you exactly where. Um, I actually was part of a really wonderful, wonderful church and church community. But then, whilst I was going there... And whilst I was going through the complaints process, I got the news finally that the church wasn't going to uh, uphold my case. And the decision was just kind of instant for me there. I, I realised that, that although my particular community and the particular group that I was part of was so, so pure in my mind and so holding the institution that was upholding it was not safe for women and children. I ask that no Lord come between me and justice, no healing before they all saw the disease. But you gave me eruptions and deafening silence. And now all I will ever ask for is peace. The premiere of iLord will take place on Monday the 30th of October, starting at 4.30pm at the Bloomsbury Theatre in London. The show will last approximately 90 minutes. After an interval, there'll be a 50-minute panel discussion about spiritual abuse and practice, the role and potential of faith in public health, and about how theatre and the arts can bring faith groups, NGOs and academics together to meet these challenges. Tickets are £8 or £6 for senior citizens, students and those experiencing unemployment. Or if you can get a group of 10 together, it's £5 a head. Your ticket gets you access both to the show and to the panel discussion. A free, parallel, interactive show is being offered on the same site to children of audience members who are aged between 5 and 11. Tickets can be booked online at www.ucl.ac.uk forward slash culture forward slash what's hyphen on 
forward slash I hyphen Lord. To book a place at the children's show, please email info at responsabilitytheatre.com. Responsibility Theatre is all one word and it's responsibility rather than responsibility. If you can't make October's show, there'll be another opportunity to see it in February next year. For updates, go to www.responsabilitytheatre.com. Responsibility Theatre is grateful for lottery funding from Arts Council England, to rehearsal and workshop space from the Old Diorama Arts Centre and to the Abuse in Religious Context project for its encouragement. I'm leaving you with a few words from Nell. Bye-bye. Spaces of faith are theatre spaces. And to me, a theatre space is actually a very spiritual space because it's a space where people can really reflect on themselves and the attitudes and perspectives that they've had and embody somebody else's and kind of compare and contrast and think, right, what am I taking away from this? With a vulnerability that we don't allow ourselves very often. And yeah, if we can make those spaces accessible and even run by people who are held as vulnerable and too often held as incapable of managing their vulnerability and bringing it into the world around them, my goodness, what hope are we bringing?